Steve and Justin use YCharts for their winning investment research. So start your free trial now. And if you purchase, mention InvestTalk and get a generous discount at YCharts.com. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Invest Talk. It is Tuesday, July 9th, 2019. We are back to work following a long holiday weekend. So that was great. And and if you live in California, do you live in California? You would have felt the biggest earthquakes we've seen in a while. It was kind of interesting. I was downstairs and my wife was upstairs and the house started to shake and the pool in the back started to produce waves. It was pretty... Uh, it was pretty um, intense there for 30 seconds a minute. I'm Steve Peasley, and I thank you for joining me today. And I hope you'll call me as well. So we want to answer any investing questions you might have. Anything financial, we'll talk about. And of course, when you do that, you drive the show to wherever you want to take it, and that's where we go. So we're going to try, you know, the goal is always the same, you know, for everybody to make lots of money, have the money earn money for you instead of you spending your time earning the money. You know, you want to be an interest earner, essentially, instead of an interest payer. That's really your goal. So that goal drives you to to the ultimate goal of financial freedom, freedom to do whatever you want with your money. So retire, not retire, whatever that is, whatever that means to you. So today in this hour, I am going to do my best to get you to that goal, to help you move toward that goal. And we're going to do it together as we do it all the time. We're going to do it one question at a time. Any or anytime this line, uh, open line number is open, you can call right now. And we're live, 4 to 5 Pacific time, Monday through Friday. So we're live right now at 888-99-CHART. So you can make a call. And ask any financial question you want. My main talking point today concerns an opinion. Wall Street hasn't been this pessimistic on Apple computers in decades. Wall Street has not been this pessimistic. Now, we got to take that all with a grain of salt, but I'll explain it in more details. I mean, there are five sell ratings for Apple by analysts right now. That's the most that they've had since 1997. And the newest bear, the newest guy that went to a cell on Apple, sees fundamental deterioration ahead for Apple. I'm going to break it down. I'll go over why. And of course, I got other things I want to talk about. If you're looking for dividends, or if you're looking for dividends, you don't have to look any further than the S&P 500. So let's talk about finding dividends there. S&P 500. You don't have to get exotic. You don't really have to. And what 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 are the things you're looking for in a dividend? What are the things you should look for in a dividend paying stock? Okay, do we want bad news or good news to drive the market higher? Do we want bad news or good news? Why would I even ask that question? And finally, we'll talk about inversion. Do you know what I'm to say when I mean inversion? I'm talking about the inverted yield curve. What's happening there? 
Those are the things we're going to talk about today on the show. But, of course, your calls will come first. And I know it's the All-Star game. And it's going to be starting I'm going to start right at 5 o'clock, right after the show here. So we still have time to talk business. The market was mixed. The Dow was down 23 points, which is not much. But the NASDAQ was up 43, which is a pretty good move. And S&P was up 4. So I would, I would say on, on balance, it was an up day for the market, just slightly up up for the market okay so you know the market is waiting for earnings it's waiting for the fed that meets into this month earnings are going to start in earnest next week so we'll, it's waiting for that with that let's go ahead and go take a call from jay in fremont how you doing jay i'm fine steve thank you how are you i'm good thanks for the call uh, Steve, I had a general question. Uh, since you are in the insurance business, uh, is it mm-hmm. is it worth taking earthquake insurance? Um, I will tell I'm, you this: reading, that I uh, do not have it. Uh, I'm reading conflicting, uh, you know, views on the Google when I did the search, and I was not sure about it. Well, I, I'm just telling you that I do not have earthquake insurance um, uh, because I don't think it's worth it. I, I really don't. Um, but that's me. Um, this, these are the parameters. Okay, usually there's a 10% deductible. Instead of a flat number, it's a 10%. So if you had $50,000 worth of damage, it would be 5000 you had to pay. It's 100000 you had to pay ten. And, you know, you're, you're paying insurance. They're, they're making you insure the whole property. You know, and, and when there's an earthquake, when, when's the last time in an earthquake that the whole house got destroyed? by the earthquake, the ground movement. Very rare does that happen. I mean, I don't think it ever has happened in my lifetime that I remember. Now, I do remember houses uh, getting damaged, a lot of damage. You can have a lot of damage, and it costs a lot of money to repair it. A lot of houses will catch fire. Well, the damage from the fire is covered under your regular homeowner's policy, but not covered under the earthquake policy. At least I think that's how that's worked. And I just felt that, you know, earthquake is not going to destroy my land and most of my value is in my land. So I just didn't think it's worth it. But I think that's really an individual choice. And premiums were so high that I looked and I said, man, why don't I just put that money aside for the next 10 or 15 years and then I'll have enough money to, you know, to fix whatever damage I want, whatever happens. But yeah. but again, Jay, you know, that's me. Uh, I'm a little bit different. I don't mind taking a little bit risks. I don't mind it. Thanks for the call. Good question, though. Appreciate it. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Steve Peasley, and we're now into the second half of the year, which is amazing to me. The markets have certainly shown volatility, and they will continue to do so. But you can prepare for you. You, you can you can balance that out with a with a good, solid, diversified portfolio. You can mitigate some of that volatility. So. You can do it yourself, or let Justin and I help you. Your calls and inquiries are always welcome at KPP Financial, both here on the radio show and our office in Irvine. And mark your calendar, I'll be going to San Jose, returning on July 31st. Appointments are limited, so register early at investtalk.com. And now I'm taking your questions live, 888-99-CHART. The big holiday weekend has ended, and 2019 is already half over. 
You can take control of your financial future if you know how. One way is to listen to Invest Talk, call in with questions, and benefit from the unbiased guidance offered each day by Stephen Justin. The phone lines are open, and Steve Peasley is here now inviting your participation. Call 888-99-CHART. 888-992-4278. The markets are near or at all-time highs. Don't get too excited because they're struggling at those highs. I don't want to get too excited about that. Uh, trade deals, if con- if com- consummated agreeably, should help the market go higher. It should, if we can get the agreements on those. Now, the agreements is there on some of the trade deals, of course, with Canada and Mexico. It's whether or not the Congress will approve of them. Because, you know, the it, it, that you just can't come to an agreement. You can, the president can, but they need to be consummated by the, by the, the Congress. So we'll see if that goes forward or not. It should, but it may not. The job openings number for May was released this morning. Jobs openings. Remember, we had the jobs report last week. That means how many jobs asked, how many jobs was created. But here, this is the jobs opening. How many jobs are open that are available? 7.323 million. 7.3 million are jobs are available. That's more people than unemployed. Did you know that? (laughs) So there's a lot of jobs available. Now, think about that. If, put it in context with what the Federal Reserve may or may not do. What are the what are the Fed what is the Fed going to do? Everybody's betting that the Fed's going to do something. What is it going to do? They said they were going to, and people think they're going to lower the quarter uh, rate, the interest rate, in into July. Hmm. Well, don't know about that. If the job market is so strong, why would the Fed do it? The economy is decent. Why would the Fed do it? That's the argument. But the economy has weakening and is weakened, has weakened. So maybe they should do it. See, there's the sides of the argument. And what would the market do if they do one or the other? What what will the stocks market do? Will the prices go up or down? Questions, questions, questions. Uh, They're thinking about raising the federal minimum wage to $15 per hour. Is that a good idea? Well, it mounts, might it might sound good, sounds compassionate, that's for sure. But in reality, it may hurt than it more than it helps. Now, there's there's conflicting studies on this, but a new study from the CBO, which is the Congressional Budget Office, it's supposed to be non-biased, non-political, supposedly, has concluded that if the federal minimum wage was was mandated at fifteen dollars an hour. 17 million workers would get a raise. But, there's a big but, 1.3 million workers would lose their jobs. So yeah, it will help for those 17 million, but it would be disastrous for 1.3 million. They said, hiking the pay floor would reduce business income and raise prices as companies pass on higher labor costs to consumers. The CBO said that. The wage increases would cause total real family income adjusted for inflation. Now listen to this. The wage increase would cause total real family income income adjusted for inflation to fall by one-tenth of one percent. Not much. But not go up as everybody thinks, oh, you more money, you get more money. But when you take that over an entire workforce, 
the math doesn't work out as well as it does on an individual basis. Now, the Democratic-controlled House could vote on the legislation called the Raise the Wage Act later this month, but it is expected to pass. But the GOP-held Senate likely will just not vote on it, not take it up. And by the way, I frankly think it, it's a state's issue, So, and many states do take that take the issue up. You know, they 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 decide they decide for themselves what you know what they want to what they want as a minimum wage. So, twenty nine states and Washington D.C. already have already have higher minimum wages than the federal level. You know, the federal level is at seven dollars and twenty five cents, but most people just ignore that because it's so low. No one pays that low that I know of. Seven states have passed already fifteen dollar per hour wage floors. And 29 states have much higher minimums than the federal wage. So I don't know if it's even a federal issue personally. I think it should be a state issue personally. I think the federal government takes on too much power in my opinion. I always, I want a small federal government and let the states decide what they want to do. Some Amazon workers at a warehouse in Minnesota are planning to strike during the Amazon's Prime Days event, that's less than a week away. Well, but don't get too excited. I mean, Amazon has a thousand warehouses, and this is workers at one warehouse. So if you were, you know, planning on buying things, you'll still get it. You'll still get, you know, all that. You know, the facility on strike will have little effect. So I'm wondering what they're on strike for. Are they on strike for higher wages? No, I didn't. the article didn't. I didn't see the reason. I would love to know that. And of course, particularly, you know, Amazon's competitors, you know, they're also going to, you know, with this big Prime Day sell that Amazon has, Target, Walmart, eBay, all the others, you know, they're, of course, targeting sales for that same period. For instance, Walmart will start a brand uh, Prime Day counter programming one day before Amazon and in one day after. So they're really pushing. I mean, Amazon's not going to have no competition. There's going to be competition. And they're pushing. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Steve Peasley. And let me remind you that Invest Talk radio program and its podcast replays provide a daily dose of market news with unbiased commentary. And we have a fairly new offering, Invest Talk Academy. You know, taking we teach lessons on Vestal Academy. It's on, it's a training class covering lots of financial investment subjects. So give it give it a try. Go to investtalk.com. Eight 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 ninety nine church. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom. Right? You're in luck. Because Steve Peasley is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and Justin. It's Sammy calling from Texas. I love your show. I listen to it every day. I had a question about how to value growth companies. Uh, with value plays, you look at P.E. ratios and EPS. But how do you value the stock price of a high-growth company who might have a negative EPS where a P.E. ratio is not available? Thanks, and I look forward to hearing your thoughts on the show. 
Well, it's much more difficult uh, with a growth company, but you re- what you focus on is your growth, a growth of sales, not growth of earnings because sometimes they don't have them yet. But you focus on growth of sales, um, and you don't you really don't have a lot of um, fundamental analysis to fall back on. Uh, you have to study the the balance sheets and the profit margins on the products they sell, even though they're not making profits overall. Um, price to sales ratio is good. You know, the price of the stock to the sales of the company, you know, you can use that, the PS ratio. Uh, so the price can be very high as long as the sales are much, much higher, you can have a higher price to sales ratio. Um, but, you know, I, I, on a growth company, you, you're going by just the growth of the sales and the if it's a smaller company the growth has to be extremely high a bigger company can be slower but a bigger company should also be producing profits at some point so this this is something that you can't you just can't there's no one one answer to this question there is no one answer I, I can't tell you that oh look for these these characteristics I can I can't what you can do is look at uh, price to sales. That's the best best measurement that you can have. And price to sales depends on what industry we're talking about. You know, if it's a high tech industry, price to sales can be you know the number can, the the price could be much much higher as long as the sales are much much higher. So it's a difficult. There's no one true answer. I used to I used to say tell people look. Um, you know, if you can, you can figure out a company's value by multiplying its um, uh, multiplying its earnings by the low and high PE ratio the last five years. But if there's no earnings, it's only sales. You can't do that from a really high growth, non-profitable company. It's one of the reasons why I stay away from them. By the way, that's why I'm more of a value investor. I don't like buying companies with no earnings, and I don't suggest you buy companies with no earnings. I want earnings. Then I can start there as far as analyzing the company. My main talking point today concerns an opinion about Wall Street having its most pessimistic attitude on Apple in decades. Decades. So uh, uh, they have five sell recommendations. Now, mind you, there's like 50-something, 57, 57 uh, experts tracking Apple, and only five of them have a sell rating. But So don't think, you know, oh my gosh, everybody's you know panicking out of Apple. No, 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 no. Uh, it's just that they hardly ever got a sell rating. So what you do is you look at Apple and say, well, how expensive is it? Is it super expensive? Are the sales, are their earnings going up? Are the sales going up? What's happening? Well, the sales are flattening, are going to go down. Earnings are going to continue to rise. And most of the problems they have, of course, their big selling item is their Apple phone. And most of the problems they have is China. China represents like 20% of their growth rate last year before the before the tensions really took a hold with the trade tensions. And uh, if that stops, right, if that stops, well, then the Apple's got a problem. Now, also, only five have sell ratings, 
so far. Sales, in other words, I'm rating the Apple stock as a sell. Don't buy it. But a number of them lowered their ratings. Uh, the number of firms with a buy rating dropped below 50% for the first time since 2004. So usually they have buy, hold, sell. That's the three most common. Now, different analysts have different things. They have accumulate or disperse. They have the different things that they want. They use, but it's buy, hold, or sell. So only 50, drop below 50% buy ratings. So that is, is that going to, is that going to be a problem for Apple? Well, I think it will be, but do you sell it or do you hold on to it if you already own it? Or does this present an opportunity? Will this present an opportunity if you ever wanted to buy Apple? So that's really, you know, the question. What do you think? I like Apple, by the way. Netflix has a new season, Stranger Things. And it's breaking records. I, I just, my, my, one of my nieces just told me about this last week. Last week. I said, I'm sorry, I don't know anything about it. She said, oh, it's really good. She's watching it. So I don't, I don't know. <laughs> now, we've talked about the importance of content creation and contact, content ownership for Netflix, right? We talked about it because of Disney opening its own online uh, video streaming system, you know, uh, offering, and they're not going to let uh, Netflix have their content. So Netflix has an issue to deal with. On tomorrow's event talk, healthcare is one of the stock market's healthiest sector. But now, as we go to a break, uh, who know? F is the stock market symbol for Ford, right? Traded on the New York Stock Exchange. How can Ford have a single letter as its symbols? Well, Ford. Well, Ford was founded 116 years ago, and F was available. So, 888-99 chart. Overall, I feel pretty good about our investment decisions, but there are times I wonder if our current 401k plan could be doing better. I mean, which funds are the right funds for me, for us? You're listening to someone who could benefit from KPP Financial's active 401k program. I can't spend all my time following the market, and I'm sure it would certainly be a big help to receive advice based on real data from unbiased advisors. The active 401k program features math-based models to guide you in and out of the various investment options in your plan. KPP monitors and advises. You take action with the active 401k program. KPP clients immediately see current investment recommendations configured to match their personal plan preferences. Active 401k. Okay. Take the next step toward your financial freedom. The great thing about achieving financial freedom, you can keep working if you want to, but you don't have to. And here's more good news. KPP clients who are active 401k subscribers will receive a complimentary subscription to the KPP Premium Newsletter. Each Friday, Steve Peasley writes a market action and trend newsletter that serves as a quick summary of the week that was. It also includes stock ideas, portfolio management information, and consumer finance tips. So enroll in the Active 401k program and also get the KPP Premium Newsletter. Start with a contact call to KPP Financial or visit kppfinancial.com. 
you can take control of your financial future if you know how. One way is to listen to Invest Talk, call in with questions, and benefit from the unbiased guidance offered each day by Steve and Justin. The phone lines are open. Steve Peasley is here now inviting your participation. It's your chance to shape the show. Call 888-99-CHART. Okay, before the break, I kind of ran out of time because, you know, I talked about Ford, right? Uh, But I wanted to ask this question, Ford with a simple F. Can you name three publicly traded companies that, like Ford, are listed with a single letter designation? It's pretty unusual, but can you name three? Can you? I got an answer for you. Think about it. One is Citigroup. This is the symbol is C. One is H for Hyatt Hotels. One is K for Kellogg's. So there are single letter symbols. There are. I can give you a few more. W for Wayfair. R for Ryder Trucks. Z for Zillow. And, you know, Zillow trades on the NASDAQ. And Zillow was founded only 13 years ago. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a really old company. And took up the single letter digits for their symbols. So it doesn't have to be, but it generally is. Generally is. Uh, New York Stock Exchange, I know for a fact, sometimes tries to to tease away from the NASDAQ Stock Exchange single-digit letters for companies that if they move to the New York from the NASDAQ. I've, I've read a few articles in the past 10 years of them trying to do that. So it's interesting. Okay, let's make time for another caller. The call, this, this came in earlier at 888-99-CHART. Yeah, I got a question for the program. I'm looking into gold ETFs, as you've been talking about in recent episodes. I want to know the difference between GDX and another ETF on gold, GLD. They have different year-to-date performances. I'd like to know why. Thank you. Okay, so that's an easy one. GLD tracks gold. Right? The price is about 10% of the value of gold. And GLD owns gold. It, it, it tracks the gold price. GDX owns gold mining companies, stocks. And gold mining companies usually are leveraged to the price of gold, meaning that if the price of gold goes up, they generally go up faster. Because they're mining the gold and they make profits, and it's always looking. You're always looking forward, and the price of gold is just whatever the price of gold is today. Whereas the price of gold today, if people think it's going to go up in the future, the stocks or gold mining companies go up. So that's why there's a difference. Usually, gold mining companies go up faster than the actual price of gold. Now, don't get overly optimistic about that because also on the opposite is true. If gold goes down, those gold mining companies can go down faster. So if you want to just track the price of gold on your performance, then you use DLD. Now, I, you have, you've heard me talk about gold this year, I think, is going to work, right? You've heard me talk about that. And you don't have to take my word. Look at a chart of G, GDX and you'll see. Look at a chart of GLD. Um, oops, oops, that was, oops. 
bear with me, GLD. <clears throat> yeah, both those have risen since the beginning of the year. They started to rise last September. Um, and so they're working. So I think, and I've been saying that I think they'll work this year. But long term, gold is not a greatest investment. Look at the history. For the decade from 2000 to 2010, it worked really great. But from, you measured the performance going back, you know, 50 years, 40 years, even 30 years, it's pretty stinky. Not a very good, not a very good uh, return. I'm Steve Peasley, and you're listening to Talk, so I think it's safe to assume that you're pretty serious about investing. So you want to grow your wealth. Who doesn't, right? And that's great. But of course, as you make your investment choices, there will always be a bit of fear. There's always going to be fear that creeps into your judgment process. It's very difficult to wring the fear or the greed out of your buy and sell thinking. When you decide to buy or sell something, you should do it with a cold-hearted lack of emotion. Very difficult to do. And the fear comes from your risk perception, how much risk you're taking. My advice, of course, has been, and it continues to do, is find out how much risk you're comfortable with. What's your comfort zone? And, of course, we can do that at KPP. Use our free online tool called investtalk.com. It's on investtalk.com. The tool is called Riskalyze. It's a risk questionnaire. It's only a few questions. It takes just a few minutes. You can check it out. You can quickly calibrate your personal risk tolerance quickly. But now I'm ready to ask your questions. Answer them all, as long as they're financial. 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial, where they describe their services as independent thinking, shared success. And KPP principal and Invest Talk host, Steve Peasley is pleased to announce that he will be returning to San Jose, California on July 31st to conduct his no-cost, Wealth Building Portfolio Review Consultations. If you're a serious investor, and if you live anywhere in Northern California, you should make plans now to sit down in person with Steve. He can review your portfolio and show you how to optimize its performance so you can achieve financial freedom. Appointments are limited, so don't delay. Wednesday, July 31st, Steve Peasley returns to San Jose. Register now at investtalk.com. The phone lines are open and your calls are welcome. 888-99-CHART. Okay, 888-992-4278. That's our number. Love for you to give me a call. I'm Steve Peasley and you're listening to Invest Talk, as you know. So give me a call. What do you guys want to talk about? How about dividend stocks? You know, everybody likes dividends. Everybody wants to earn dividends. I want to earn dividends. I like dividends. And half of the S&P 500 stocks pay dividends. And much of those companies pay more than 10-year treasury on those dividends. So they're kind of something that you uh, you kind of want to focus on, I, th- I would think. <clears throat> dividends are very, very important for your overall return over long periods of time. Now, there's certain things you want to look for when you're looking for a dividend-paying stock. One of the rules we like to use is we don't want the payout ratio to be over 60%. That means we don't want them paying us a dividend more than 60% of the earnings. 
Now, have we bought stocks that pay more than 60%? Yes, we have. But you want to make sure it's a really solid company. You always want to buy dividend stocks, companies that always increase their dividends. Their companies have increased dividends 100 years in a row. We call them dividend achievers. And, you know, there's a book out there called Dividend Achievers, which, you know, I recommend that you get. But you want growth in your dividends. Uh, Don't fall in love with super high dividends because it can't be supported. That's why that 60% payout ratio is important. And that's why a a history of increasing dividends is important. That'll keep you more honest in your dividends and your purchases. Instead of saying, oh, that company pays 9%. Yeah, but they issue stocks just to pay dividends, so they're diluting your earnings per share, and eventually that's not going to work. I mean, it will collapse. So you got to be careful. So there's certain fundamental things you look for dividend payers. And I gave you two really good basic things to look for. Payout ratio and a consistent increase in dividends over the years. Two things that you just, if you just did those two things, you'd be a lot better off in your dividend buyers. Okay? Dividend buying stocks. Now, if we keep moving, we can fit another caller in. Question 888 chart. Hey, Steve and Justin, this is Keith from Redondo Beach. Big fan of your show, and I really appreciate the work you put into it. Question for you, Steve, you said to a listener that if they had more than $100,000 to invest, they shouldn't go all in an index fund, that they should have some individual stocks. And so I'm going to ask the big question that I know is probably not answerable on a podcast, but I'd love to hear your, your response. How? How do you know what stocks to buy when, how do you beat an index fund by selecting stocks? I know there are big picture answers like get in and stay in for the long term, buy on the dips, but is there a set of rules or, or a single book or reference that you would recommend to answer that question? If I'm going to set out to beat the major indices by buying individual stocks, how do you go about doing that above and beyond just the basics that I mentioned? Anyway, I know it's a big question. Love to hear your response. I'll listen on the podcast. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Well, a few weeks ago, I I read a study on how to beat the S&P 500 using individual stocks, knowing you can't buy the S&P 500. And the question was, and the question they answered was, what is the optimal number of stocks that you should have in your portfolio? And the answer was like 25 to 30, which fits right in. I usually buy 3% of any one stock, so that's 33 stocks, if that's what I do. Uh, so, number one, that's a way you can beat the S&P 500. Do 25 stocks, but make sure you don't do to get heavy in any one sector. Make sure you spread it out. That's why I tell you don't buy more than 15 to 18% of any one sector because you want that diversification. And according to the article, they said if you did that with proper diversification over 25 to 30 stocks that historically, and you bought, you know, the 25, you know, and high, high, um, you know, uh, high quality stocks in their particular sector that you would beat the S&P 500. 
in performance. Notice you don't trade them, you just buy them and you hold on to them. Now, it also depends on when you buy them. If you buy them at the top of the market, like right now, I don't know if it'll take you umpteen years to beat the market because you're buying at a high price. If you buy them at a at a low, you might be better off beating the market. It's hard to know. And I and I even when I was reading that article, I was questioning in my mind, how do you really know? How do you really make that study? And by the way, they were including dividends. So they had a they had a little dividend filter in there that also that had a higher than the average dividend in the S P five hundred. And they were including that dividend, reinvesting that dividend to beat the S P five hundred. Kinda interesting, huh? But you can do it. It's not simple and it's not you know, but you can't do it by buying two, three, five stocks. You can't do it because there's too risky. Now, when I say you can't do it by, you could super outperform the S&P 500 with five stocks, or you can look terrible. You can do terrible with five stocks. And that your risk level is much higher the smaller your, the fewer holdings that you have. So you need to have 15 to 25, up to 30 stocks. Anyways, okay. Good question though. Thank you. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. So, do we root for bad news or good news about the economy for or about, for stock prices? Or, you know, do we? What do we root for? Why am I even bring, bringing this up? Well, you know that the, the Federal Reserve raises and lowers interest rates, and they paused in December. I thought they were too late, but that's okay. They paused in December, and they're gonna they're gonna meet late in July. And they haven't raised rates at all since then. And they hinted that lowering rates. So uh, everybody is thinking that they're lowering rates uh, this year. And therefore, that will be good for the market. Well, they may not lower rates, especially if you have a good jobs report, which we just had. Especially if you have a lot of job openings, which we just had. And, you know, if inflation picked up, but we don't have any. So they're not going to raise rates, but they can lower it because there's no inflation. But what if they don't? You know, with, is it do we root for them to lower bad news in the economy so that they will lower rates and that'll be good for stocks? But bad news in the economy means bad news for earnings. Bad news for earnings for corporations usually means lower prices. And we're moving into our earnings season, and the you know the estimates are not very good. They're trying to, they're thinking that this might be the third quarter in a row where we've had earnings go down, and our, that might be we are in an earnings recession. Well, if that's the case, maybe the Fed will lower the interest rate to spark. You see what I'm saying? Do we root for bad news if we're an investor? Will bad news or good news move stock prices? <laughs> and it's really it touch and go. We don't know. No one really knows. And it's more so right now. We are not so sure if it's good or bad news that will drive stock prices. Don't know. Good news is we do have full employment and the economy is growing. And that's good and we want that. Everybody wants that. We want workers working and we want economy that's growing because eventually it will mean higher earnings for corporations. If you're an investor, that's good news. 
Same time, higher interest rates retards economic growth and earnings growth. This is Invest Talk. I'm Steve Peasley. We have one goal here, of course, and that is to help you achieve that financial freedom that we all want. And I want to do that. So give me a call. And of course, our work continues right after this break. Get your questions in 888 99Chart. On the next Invest Talk, earnings growth for large U.S. companies is expected to slow this year, but the healthcare sector is seen as an exception. That story tomorrow. But now Steve is here, ready with answers, and he's waiting for your questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Hi, my name's Arian. I'm from Irvine. I just wanted to hear your opinion on Clearway Energy. That's C-W-E-N. Thank you. Well, thank you for the call, Irwin. Uh, um, I'm right down the street. Our office is in Irvine, California. Uh, Clearway Energy, Inc., it's a $3.37 billion company in the energy alternative energy field. And I know that's politically sounds very attractive and everything, but I'm a guy who based everything on how much money they make. This is a good investment based on the growth of their earnings. So let's look at that. The field is very attractive to a lot of people because it's alternative energy. This one owns, operates, and acquires contracted renewable and conventional generation thermal infrastructure assets. Okay. Now, are they going to make money? Well, the last quarter they lost 18 cents. The quarter before that, last they lost 65 cents a share. Uh, the quarter before that made 20 cents. The quarter before that, they made 77 cents a share. And the quarter before that, 16 cents they made. Lost two cents a share that, you know, December of 2017. So, you know, it, it, the, my, my, my point is, is it's erratic. Their earnings are very erratic. Their sales, I can handle erratic earnings because maybe they're spending a lot of money acquiring things, you know, whatever. But I can't, ha- cannot handle erratic erratic sales i can handle erratic earnings but not sales and the sales are erratic as well they should be just growing that's all there should be in the, this alternative energy field their sales fell four percent last quarter fell one percent to quarter before that up nine percent before that up seven percent up two percent down eight percent down one up two i do not like that that does not make me feel good and they pay a dividend of six percent well, don't fall in love with that because, you know, they're losing money in the last two quarters. I don't know what they'll do this quarter. And the stock is selling for $17.44. I mean, it got as low as $12 or so in February. Now it's $17.44. I, I personally would not buy this stock. has way too much debt. Uh, and management doesn't own hardly any st- any stock. I don't, I don't like that. It's not that big of a company. They should own something. And the mutual funds have been slowly selling it. I, um, no. I would say no. Don't buy this. Okay. Inverted yield curves. I've been talking about it. I've been talking about it off and on for months. Telling you that it's getting closer and closer and closer. So where is it today? And what is an inverted yield curve? An inverted yield curve is simply 
where the two-year treasury, the yield on the two-year U.S. government treasury is higher than the yield on a 10-year U.S. government treasury. And why that is important is every time that's ever happened in history, we are either in or going into a recession. What is it today? Today, the yield on the two-year treasury, two-year is 1.904, and the 10-year is 2.05. It's getting, it's pretty close, and it has been pretty close for a long time, weeks, month, two months, I don't know exactly how long. And they are issuing a number, three debt issues this week. I know they did $38 billion of three-year auction debt. When I say they, I mean the U.S. government, the U.S. Treasury. Remember, we, we are, our government is super in debt, right? So they have to issue debt, bonds, treasuries. And people have to buy them to support our government, to run our government. We spend way more than we earn. The government spends way more than it earns in taxes. Way more. And that is a big problem. So there's the national debt, and we're, what, at $20 trillion? And then there is the annual deficit. Try to remember, there are two separate things. The annual deficit is how much money you're bringing in, in taxes, and how much money you're spending. And you're spending more than you're bringing in, you have an annual deficit. Therefore, that annual deficit adds to the $20 trillion debt. So, we have to pay off that $20 trillion debt. Now, some of you are going to say, well, we, we don't have to pay it. Well, we can just default on it. Yeah, right. If, if, if someone, if some, I've had people tell me that, and that tells me a lot about how stupid they are. That's just stupid. You don't understand how our system, free economic system works. I'm Steve Peasley, and this completes, an, completes another InvestTop program. And I thank you for your loyal support and questions. I really do. I'll be back tomorrow, by the way. Remember, you got the All-Star Game. Hope everybody's watching. See you tomorrow, see you tomorrow everybody. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, Call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listening line at 888-99-CHART.